Scripture reading this week is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sakes of you, who are through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Good morning. We are in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. You ever been uh, possibly inheriting something from somebody who's passed away? You ever did that? You ever had that? This one uh, man was a single man. He was not married. His mother passed away. So he was the only heir. So he was thinking he was going to get a good amount of money from his mother. And uh, mother left him the family Bible and then left him her estate. And after the funeral expenses and the debts he had to pay, he had a few hundred dollars. And he ended up living 30 years in poverty. After 30 years, he opened the Bible. And inside the Bible was money that his mother had put in the Bible. That would have helped him a great deal pay the bills, to handle expenses to deal with problems that he had for the last 30 years. But what did he do? He didn't open the book that could help him. He tried to do it his own way. He tried to do it without the help of the Bible. Now, for the last two Sundays, we've been talking about the promises of God. We've been talking about the promises of God. We've been specifically talking about the promises of God given to Abraham. Now, the promises to God through Abraham are interesting promises. Yes, we would agree. But they're not necessarily promises that apply to us. So, how can I help you with this? I can give you the promises in the Bible that apply 
to you. Ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me. How many promises are there in the Bible for you? I guess a couple of you want to hear. <laughs> there are, and I, I just, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm going to give you the promises that apply. There are specifically 18 promises given to people living today that think that they are going to get to heaven by doing good works. And we've talked about this in the past that good works will not earn you justification. So therefore, the promises to them are 18 promises that you really don't want to have. Okay? Matter of fact, <clears throat> those 18 promises, let me give you one of them. Revelation 20, verse 15. You don't have time to turn there. Just listen. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a promise. If your name is not in the book of life, if you try to do things to earn justification, you cannot do it. You try to keep the law, you cannot do it. You try to uh, live by the golden rule, you cannot do it. You try to live by the Ten Commandments, you cannot do it. Get a place in the lake of fire. So, if you are one of those millions of billions of people that think you can earn your way to heaven, you have 18 promises to claim. If you have your faith in Jesus Christ, it's a little bit different for you. There are 179 promises in the Bible that are given to you, but, but... They are conditional. They are conditional promises. In other words, if you do this, God will give you this. So after you become saved, you are saved by faith, and you start living by the principles in the Word of God, and you have 179 promises that if you do something, God will give you something in return. For instance... Let's go to uh, Matthew 18.20. We've been there many times. Let me read it for you. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. I'm there with you. Now, Matthew 18 is talking about you admonishing another believer. You admonishing another believer. In other words, you, uh, you're standing after church outside and uh, uh, another believer... Uh, tells a lie, uh, you talk to them privately, hey, uh, you told a lie, you need to confess that that's wrong. Uh, they say, hang it in your ear, take a long walk on a short pier, and you say, huh. So you pray about it, you get another believer that was in the group, heard the lie, and you go to that person, and you go, hey, uh, he heard it too. He knows it's a lie too. We shouldn't be sharing lies. And he says, hey, put it in your ear, take a long walk and a short pier. Then you go to the church and bring them involved into this. And you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to admonish this believer. When you go by yourself or you go with another believer, two or three, 
Or when you take the church, guess what Jesus promises? That if you do that work of admonishment, he will be in that meeting with you. In other words, he has a special concern that sin is taken out of his church. And he will be there with you. There are 179 promises like that in the Bible that you can claim if you do something and you then will get the promise from God. Now, third group of promises, 234. You have 234 promises in the Bible that are given to you and it really doesn't depend on what you do. Because you're a believer, because the Holy Spirit indwells you, because you've been saved, born again, regenerated, justified, redeemed, glorified, all those things happen. You have these promises, and you can hold to them as being true. For instance, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But if you have Jesus Christ, you have life. In other words, any death, spiritual or physical, cannot harm your relationship with Jesus Christ. You will have life forever. Forever. And it has nothing to do upon you doing anything. It's a promise from God to you that you can trust will happen. So, that brings us to a total of 431 promises. 431 promises. Four, now you're listening. 431 promises. Thank you. That's a lot of promises. And you get it from God. Now, uh, you don't want to be in the category of the 18 promises for the wicked, but you want to be part of the promises for believers, and you want to be part of the promises, uh, the conditional things you have to do. God will promise something. You want to be part of that group. And if you're part of that group, you have a great number of promises which you can find directly written down in your Bible. In your Bible. In your Bible. Now, Paul's trying to take the illustration of Abraham and saying Abraham was given a promise by God. And because he was given that promise, you as a believer should learn from Abraham and with your 400 billion gazillion, well, 431 promises, you trust and act and live differently. We have one question this morning with 10 different answers. Now, I know some of you are going to complain, so save your email. I know that the 10 are very similar, and I know that they could apply to many of the different points in the paragraph, but we're going to take 10, and I'm going to emphasize a difference between each one that I think Paul is trying to make. You ready? You ready? Here we go. 431 promises. How are believers to respond to the promises of God? How are believers to 
handle promises from God. We're supposed to do it the same way Abraham did. He's our father. We're to do the same thing as our spiritual father. Here we go. How are believers to respond to the promises of God? Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. In hope, against hope, he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Here we're talking about believing in the promises of God. The first thing he, you have as a believer is believers are to have hope in God. Believers are to have hope in God. <clears throat> this is the first time we have the term hope in the book of Romans. First time. It's going to happen a number of times after this, 13 times after this. But... This is first for us. So we need to take a moment and make sure we understand what hope is. Now, the theology of hope is very similar to the theology of faith. Matter of fact, you can't have one without the other. They're both combined, concluded together, twins. They are joined together. Your faith is the hope of promises today. <clears throat> hope is your faith and promises tomorrow. So hope has a futuristic look to it, whereas faith has a today look to it. So you have faith, you have it today. You have hope, you're hoping in the promises for tomorrow. And that's the basic difference between faith and hope. <clears throat> foundational hope is one day after death going to live forever with God. That's your, that's your basic promise that you believe because of your salvation. You believe one day you'll be with Christ, right? Okay. For instance, in John 20, 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me, talking to uh, Timothy, Thomas, doubting Thomas, he's saying, look at my hands, look at my side, look at my feet. Because you have seen me, you believe, Thomas. Blessed are they who do not see, yet believe. And that's the group we are in. We don't see anything to place our hope in. We believe that Jesus Christ lived on this earth, died on this earth, completely perfect under the law, and was resurrected for us. And with his resurrection, we one day look forward to being with Jesus in heaven. Right? Okay. Now, faith looks forward in hope towards that day. Hope embraces salvation as it is in the future. Hope rests on faith and faith bears hope with it. They're combined. Hope is generated careful, through careful reading and understanding and obedience to the Word of God. Notice he says against hope. Hope against hope. Hope would be contrary to hope. Contrary to the uncertainty of the future. Now, we just got through with the election, which 
seems to me not done yet. Okay? And because of this election, we have a future we're not sure about. Okay? So whatever's going to happen is going to happen. God knows what's going to happen. We trust him and have hope in the future. This hope doesn't worry about the future. We could be contrary to hope or because of the uncertainty of the future, hope goes against hope. For instance, uh, one of the translations puts it this way, even when there is no reason for hope. That's how they translate this verse. No reason for hope. For instance, Abraham and Sarah, they're given a promise that they will have many, many descendants, many, many nations. You'll have more descendants than you have stars in heaven. All that, those promises. The problem was they had no children, no kids. Okay? They put their hope in the uncertainty based upon the promise of God in the future. God said something's going to happen in the future. They looked at their life. They didn't see how it's going to work. They didn't see the future. They hoped against hope. They didn't see how it was going to happen. But it says Abraham trusted God. The believer has to trust the promise of God. You have 431 promises. You trust God's going to be true to his word. And you can take those promises and base your life upon them because that you know for certain will happen in the future. One day we will be with Jesus Christ forever in the kingdom of God. And that will be a great day. That will be a great day. That's number one. Number two, how are believers to respond to the promises of God? Number two, believers are to have faith in God. Now, this is kind of redundant because we've been talking about faith for the whole chapter of chapter four. But because of the promises of God, the 431 that you have, you have reason to believe and have faith faith in God that he's going to do it. So, you place your trust and confidence in God being able to accomplish what he promises. And you do not trust yourself or trust your own work or trust your own effort. You trust God. You trust God. He believed God made the promise, and Abraham believed that God had the power to do it. The first promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah came before the birth of Ishmael when Abraham was 86. So probably for 60 years, they've been having to trying to have kids. And guess what? Somehow God prevented it. Every month. Every month. Every month. And then God promises when they're 86, they're going to have many nations from their descendants. And they're going, are you sure, God? It's a little late here for us, don't you think, God?
Living faith expects God to act in this world according to his promises. It looks forward to the future because we have the promises of God to actually occur. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, 21 says, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Your faith and hope are in God. So, first one, you have faith. Second one, excuse me. Second one, you have faith. First one, you have hope. Got that backwards. Third, how are believers to respond to the promises of God? So that he might become a father of many nations. A father of many nations. Believers are to have a love for God. A love for God. Now, why do believers have a love for God who gives them promises? Because the promises from a loving God <laughs> cause us to love him more. These promises would make Abraham and Sarah extremely joyful. So, the promises of God, the 300, 431 of them, guess what they will do to your life? They will bring you the joy of the Lord. They will bring you joy. Joy. So, you respond... How? By love. Okay? Um, an example would be if, uh, if uh, you have a Christmas and you get, okay, like a $1 gift from your dad, you get like a $2 gift from your mom, and you get from your Pastor David a $5,000 gift. Okay? Who becomes your favorite? Okay? It would be... Pastor David. Okay? When you find the promises of God and you start in your Bible, you underline it in your Bible, and you claim that promise and you have that promise, there is a natural response you have of love for the person who gives you the promise. Many nations... Genesis 17, 5. I will make you the father of multiple nations. <laughs> so shall your descendants be. The spiritual descendants will obtain the promise God gives by faith. And they will respond in love. Verse 19. Fourth. Verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. How are believers to respond to the promises of God? Number four, believers are to have a fixed focus on God. A fixed focus on God. Now, if Abraham and Sarah have been trying for 75 years to have kids, what do they have to keep their eye on? To fulfill the promise. They have to keep their eye fixed upon God. Now, 
your 431 promises, you have to keep your eye on God. If you try to fix the problem by yourself or earn the problem by yourself or do something that will somehow put God in your debt so that God has to give you the promise, you are not thinking biblically. That is not faith. That is a paycheck given to you. You think you deserve it. You think you put God in your debt. You cannot put God in your debt. You have a fixed focus on God because... Okay, I'm, I'm going to say a word here. Please, I'm not trying to insult you, but I'm using a word from the Bible. You are weak. You are weak. The natural tendency we have is to be weak. Okay, here you go. I will pick on um, me. Okay? I'll be honest with you. When I experience a problem in this work week, say something about a church ministry or some kind of event we want to do, and I get a problem, guess what I try to do? I try to fix it. I try to fix it. I try to fix it. And what, by the way, what should be the first thing I should do? I should pray and ask God to help me. But me being pastor, I have to try with all my strength to fix the problem. And you think I would know better. Because if I try to fix the problem, what happens? Problem gets bigger. Am I the only one? Okay, I am, huh? When we try to do something to fix the problem, we have more problems. When we go to God, the problem gets solved. Whether we <laughs> try or not. Here it's talking about Abraham not becoming weak in faith. Abraham was strong because he believed that God was strong enough to fulfill the promise. He was strong enough to, to do what God promised. Therefore, he put his spiritual weakness and physical weakness aside because God was stronger than anything in his life. Our flesh does not have the ability to do what God wants to do. Our flesh is weak. Abraham grew strong in his living faith. We, excuse me, I tend to try to do it on my own. And usually it takes me about five or ten, F, ten attempts to fix it before I finally pray. Which should be my first thing if I had half a brain. Four. No, five. <clears throat> How are believers to respond to the promise of God? Five. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. He contemplated his own body. He thought about his body. In other words, number five, believers are to have a patient 
focus on God. A patient focus on God. To contemplate means to reflect upon something, to think about something carefully. He contemplated his own body. If Abraham just looked at his own body, he would say, not going to be done. I'm too old. I'm not going to have children. It's too late. The bus has left the building. When Abraham looked at his physical body, he did not see how God could fulfill his problem. And what's the problem here? He's looking at himself. Rather than looking at who? God. Rather than looking at God. We have looking at ourselves. We have to start looking at God. We have to be patient with God. Abraham, <clears throat> at the very end, was 99 and God visited him and said, next year this time. Abraham goes, I'm almost 100. By the way, he, 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 he added up. He rounded up. He was 99. He wasn't 100 yet. But he said, I'm 100. I'm as good as dead. Genesis 17, 1. And Abraham was 99 years old. Later, at the end of verse, in chapter 17, he he says, I'm almost 100. He says, I'm almost too old. I can't have children. And God said, in your own power, yes, you're right. But in my power, anything is possible. Number six. Number six. How are believers to respond to the promises of God? Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, and now as good as dead, now as good as dead, okay, I felt this like 10 years ago. I felt as good as dead. He is now 99 and feels as good as dead. Believers, number, four, number six, believers are to have a supernatural Focus on God. A supernatural focus on God. In other words, if something is going on in your life, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it physically, or you can look at it spiritually. If you look at it physically, it may be out of your control. It may be beyond you. It may be more than you can handle. Uh, let, let's uh, let's do whatever. Uh, let's say a marriage. Let's say a marriage is having problems. They're fighting all the time. Whatever, whatever, whatever. They're having problems. If they try to fix it, the physical on their own, they'll probably end up with more fighting and problems. If they look at it spiritually and look for a supernatural answer, God is the one who can fix the relationship. Or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever is coming to your mind right now, the physical usually will not work. The spiritual will work every time. If you have a problem going on, you need to trust in the supernatural focus on God to get it accomplished. <laughs> he says, as good as dead. 
Perfect passive. In other words, he sees himself as permanently dead. Can't do anything about it. He's dead. Grace not only gives us better than we deserve, grace gives us what we cannot produce. Grace gives us what we cannot produce. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.11 11 says, By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. For the promises of God to be fulfilled, God does not depend upon the deadness of mankind to accomplish the problem. God can do it. So, here you go. Whatever problem you think you have, however minor it is or however major it is, you can look at it two ways, physically or spiritually. Physically, whatever the problem is, there are certain things you think logically you should do. you got to try. I'll do this. I'll do that. Whatever. I've had a problem in the past with vehicles. Okay? Seems like every vehicle I get dies. Something goes wrong. I end up, I end up increasing the money for my auto repairs every month it seems like because something always goes wrong and something always costs more than I have have you tried to replace those little sensors in your car now those little bitty things they're like $800 but it's always something and you look at it physically or you can look at it spiritually and if you look at it spiritually you say God this is your car you, if you don't want it to run, you're going to have to do something about it. Trust God or trust yourself. Seven. Seven. <clears throat> How are believers to respond to the promises of God? Verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God. Yet with respect to the promise of God. Believers are to have a strong focus on God. Have a strong focus on God because the promise comes from God. You have 431 promises directly directed towards the believer during the church age. You have promises directed to you. The believer is to God. Matter of fact, Ephesians 4.14 says, Don't be like a believer being tossed to and fro by the winds of doc, false doctrine. You are not supposed to be going this way, hey, faith one day, oh, doubt the next day. Faith one day, doubt the next day. Uh, truth, lie. Don't do it. Physical, spiritual. Do, don't be waffling. Don't be tossed about. A believer is not to be tossed about. The promise of God, God promises, can only be fulfilled by the power of God. Human effort will never result in working out anything according to God's will. You need to understand, when you take things into your own hands, it always ends up making more of a mess. Okay, what happened? Sarah and Abraham 
couldn't have kids, and Sarah comes up with an idea, hey, why don't you have a child with my maidservant, and you, you do that, and Abraham said, okay, and has relations with his maidservant, and they have Ishmael. Ishmael <laughs> is the father of the descendants now that are surrounding Israel and giving Israel all the problems. <laughs> you come up with a physical solution, you will have more problems. Later, God gives Abraham and, Isaac, and Sarah Isaac. <sighs> promise over promise over promise. The first promise comes to Abraham when he's 75. Second promise comes when he's, when he's, he'll have stars and children is the number of the stars in the heaven. The third promise comes, Abraham will be the father of multiple nations. The fourth promise comes, Abraham, uh, you're going to have a son in another year. And then after 25 years of waiting, Abraham has a son. He does not waver in unbelief. He is not tossed around trying to be physical or spiritual. Trying to trust God, not trust God. Trust Abraham, not trust God. You're trying to do things on your own. And it will do nothing but hurt you. You have to have a strong trust in God. Number eight. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Grew strong in faith. Believers are to grow in their focus on God. Grow in your focus on God. You are to trust God more each day. You're to focus on God more each day. Matter of fact, if you have problems tomorrow, let me tell you the reason why you're going to have a problem tomorrow. Okay, here you go. Um, 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 um. If you have a problem tomorrow, it's to get you to trust God more. The whole purpose of a problem tomorrow will be to get you to trust God more. Whatever hardship you have, trust God more. You are to grow in your focus on God. You are to grow in trusting that God will strengthen you. What is faith? Faith is strong assurance that God's promises are good and that he, will, that he can and will perform them. The pastor said, quote, Godly faith is not just fully understanding, but full trust. Godly faith is not full understanding, but full trust. We may not understand how God can do something. We cannot understand how God will do it or straighten it out. But if we give it to God, God will do it. You try your best, it won't be good enough. You try your best, you may cause more problems for you. Number nine, here we go. Number nine. <clears throat> How are believers to respond to the promise of God? Did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. Believers are to have a glorifying focus on God. A glorifying focus on God. Uh, this word occurs 16 times in Romans. 
Living faith glorifies God because God is the one giving the promises by His loving grace. Your faith grows and gives glory to God. When your faith grows, you are giving glory to God. If you trust His promise, you deal with Him spiritually rather than physically, you will glorify God more. Any type of faith that does not glorify God is not living faith. 1 John 5.10 The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. If you don't believe the promises of God, you're making God a liar. The goal of your faith is to honor, obey, and glorify God. One, and being full of what God has promised, he was able also to perform. How are believers to respond to the promises of God? Number 10. Number 10. Believers are to have a complete confidence in the power of God. A complete confidence in the power of God. You are to be fully assured. Okay, I, I watch game shows every once in a while. Well, okay, I watch game shows a lot. So I'm watching a game show, and they, you know how game shows have, you got a final answer to give, and you say it's my final answer, or you can say lock it in, or you say whatever it is. But you are trusting in that your answer is right. What you do as a believer is you trust God. That's your final answer. And he will do it. Why? Because he's more powerful than you. Why? Because the problem is not big, bigger than he is. You can trust God. What God promised. Perfect tense, promise. You'll always have that promise. The only way our eternal life can be guaranteed if it rests upon God's promise. God's grace. He's able to do it. God's powerful to be able to bring life from dead parents and produce many nations. God is able to do it. Turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Turn. Turn. I'll wait. Come on, back row people too. Matthew chapter 19. I'll wait. I'll sing a song while we wait. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew's in the New Testament. Okay? Matthew 19. 19 comes after 18. If you go to 20, you've gone too far. Matthew 19. Now this is the passage I go to when I'm trying to explain the gospel to somebody. <clears throat> this is where I go. I try to get them to understand that the rich young ruler is not the example to follow. Okay? But is the example of most Americans. Here you go. Rich young ruler. Drop down to verse 26. Uh, rich young ruler comes, says, what good thing must I do? In other words, he goes, I believe that you do things and you'll earn heaven. I'll do things and I'll earn eternal life. I'll do something and I'll get the reward of heaven. Jesus says, nope. <laughs> he says, do the Ten Commandments. He says, I've done that since I was little. Jesus says, nope. Says, he stops and looks at him and says, hey, give all your money away and come and follow me. And the guy says, well, I can't do that. That would be silly. I have a lot of money. I can't give it away. 
That's my retirement account. I can't do that. That's my income. I can't do that. I can't do that. Here you go, verse 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to the disciples, with people, this is impossible. In other words, salvation is impossible. Salvation is impossible if you try to live by the golden rule. Salvation is impossible if you try to be a good person. You try to get God to owe you something, it's impossible. With people, it's impossible. But with God, what's the next word? All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Those 431 promises that come to you, guess what? All of them are possible. Why? Because it's not your efforts. It's God's efforts. All of them. And God is able to perform them, to do them. God is able to do everything he needs to do to fulfill every promise. You think it's incredible that he can come up with something for you to do for eternity that will glorify him with Jesus Christ. Yes, it might be to you, but to him, it's not. He can fulfill every single promise he has for you. Just like he fulfilled the promise to Abraham. He fulfilled the promise to Abraham. And he can do it to you. Practical application. Will my friends be able to see my confidence in the power of God as I live my life with faith and hope? Let me say that again. Will my friends be able to see my confidence in the power of God as I live my life with faith and hope. In other words, when they experience you having a problem, and the first thing you do is say, well, I'm going to pray about that. But what are you going to do? I'm going to pray about that. What are you going to do? I'm going to pray about that. Well, let's get a meeting together. No, I'm going to pray about that. You come up with the issue you're struggling with. There are, two spirits, there are two problems you might be having. One, a physical problem. Okay? Something physically is with you. Something physical is happening to you. Guess what you do? You take it to God. Why? Because He can accomplish everything to fix your problem. Or, if you don't have a physical problem, you have a spiritual problem. That spiritual problem can be solved by the one who has the power to fulfill promises. And that's God. You take it to God. And you give it to God. You trust God that he's strong enough to do, fix the problem. Paul Bunyan was in a jail cell because he was preaching the gospel. Almost sounds like America. He's preaching the gospel. He puts put in jail, and he writes a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, understand that for a minute. The worst thing you can imagine for somebody to be put in prison for preaching the gospel. And then he writes a book that's still being read today. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, he has a problem with Christian going 
leaving the main highway and following another path that seems much easier. That path leads him into the territory of giant despair, who owns Doubting Castle. Eventually he's captured by great the giant despair and kept in a dungeon, and he advises to kill the, the great giant despair advises him to kill himself. The giant says, there's no use trying to keep on this journey. For the time, it seems as if despair has really conquered Christian. But when hope, Christian's companion, reminds him of his previous victories, it comes about that on Saturday about midnight, they begin to pray and to continue in prayer until morning. A little bit before day, good Christian is as one half amazed, broke out in a passionate speech. He said, quote, what a fool I am. I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well be free. I have a key in my pocket called promise that I will use. I'm persuaded that any lock in Doubting Castle can be opened with the key of promise. And he gets out. Him and hope continue on their path. If you are in the castle of despair, the one thing that will get you out is counting upon the promises of God. And that will get you hope. And hope will give you the key of promise and you'll get out. Now, if you do not like my addition here of coming up with 431 promises in the Bible that applies to you, I challenge you to go find it out yourself. And whatever number you come up with, we'll debate it. Especially if my number is bigger. But, whatever number you come up with, the key is to trust the promise of God. Everybody hear me? Okay, whatever week you have, it'll be better using the key of promise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you, Father, that your word gives us the illustration of how our faith is supposed to be. Thank you for Abraham, the father of our faith. And we ask, Father, that you would use the principles that Abraham used so that our faith would be stronger, that our hope would be stronger that our confidence would be in you, that our eyes would be focused on you, that our eyes would be focused on the spiritual, that everything you do for us, Father, we would trust you more, that we would grow in our faith, that we'd be confident in your promises, that we would trust your promises, that we would look forward one day to having these promises occur in our lives. And that, Father, you would work for your glory and honor. I thank you, Father, for this reminder that the key that gets us out of every dungeon is the key of promise. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.